We've been in a series on the wisdom of God. How many of you believe that my son called me this morning? He said, Dad, I can't remember. Are we calling this our great need or is it our greatest need? I said, well, you know what? I, I, I started out with our great need because I don't know if it is our greatest need, but I know that it is very important. Amen? I'm not going to try to be God here and tell you it's our greatest need. I know it is. I, it, no, I'm not going to tell you that. But I'm going to tell you that it is life and death important. That makes it pretty serious, doesn't it? You know, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I, I look back and I remember that there were times when, I, and, and I'll just tell on myself here. I know no one else here has ever made these kinds of mistakes or ever did anything wrong before, right? <laughs> just, just me, right? Have you ever been in, in the shoes that I was in where you were facing a financial need and you believed with all your heart that what you needed was a loan from the bank? You ever been there before? Yeah, you, you felt that you needed a loan from the bank. And I would pray, oh God, please give me, please give me favor with the bank and, and help me get this loan. I can't tell you how many times that prayer was a miserable failure. Because what God was striving to show me was that I was moving from need to need to need to need that looked just identical over and over and over again. And what I needed was not alone. I needed change in here. I needed the wisdom of God to move in my life and teach me what would keep me from getting back there to where I needed in my thinking alone. We treat God oftentimes like he's a bank loan officer. When in reality, what he wants to do is he wants to pour his wisdom into us so that change happens and we don't keep going back to the same barn, getting kicked by the same mule all over again. And I will tell you, at my age, I'm extremely familiar with that mule. I even know his first name, but I'm not going to tell you. Stay away from him, all right? Don't get kicked by that mule. So here we are. This is message two, the wisdom of God, our great need. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Once again, I cheated, and I laid my ribbon in the first scripture, but I'm going to wait. I'll give you a chance to find it. How many of you know you need to lay your eyes on these words? They're life-giving words, all right? Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to go to verse 6. And as long as I hear pages turning, I'm going to relax here. Once again, what have we determined? If we're going to learn about the wisdom of God, we need not be in a hurry. We don't need to rush. Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to go to verse 6. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Are you ready? I'm ready. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And this is in the Old Testament. This isn't even New Testament yet. This is what God was saying about himself in the Old Testament. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, let me, let me tell you this is from what the Lord has dropped in my spirit. He's not far away. We may not be really happy with what the church in America is doing today, but God's not far away. Amen? It's not over. The final word has not been given, right? 
I know that I get caught up in saying some pretty disparaging things about the church in America today, but somebody needs to say it. Amen? And I'm not, I'm not shy. Have you ever noticed that about me? I'm not shy. I'm not bashful, right? But there's, there's a cure for what ails the church in America today. Verse 6 again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Okay, and, and, and lest you think that the word of God here is just for the wretched, just for the, the people who's never known the love of God or whatever. The next line says, let him return to the Lord. How many of you know you can't return to him unless you've been with him before? Amen? Uh, so all you got to do is pay attention to what the Bible says, right? So, all right, let the wicked forsake his way and the, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. How many of you know God wants to pour his compassion out on the church today? He's waiting for the church to line itself up and position itself for him to pour his compassion out. And, and listen to me, brothers and sisters, the church in America needs the compassion of God more now than ever. More now than ever, all right? All right, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. How many of you feel like sometimes you just need a pardon from the Lord? Hey, I'm, I'm going to stand right here and tell you. I'll look you in the eye and tell you. There's times when I need a pardon. Amen? All right. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares who? The Lord. Right? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What this passage of Scripture just told me is that God's pretty smart. All right? I'm just putting it mildly. He's pretty smart, right? How many of you believe God knows some things? Amen? All right. I want to share with you something that I failed to share with you last week, and that is I, I like to write a synopsis. I like people to be able to look at a little paragraph and get an idea of where we're trying to go and what our goals are. This series of messages is going to help the children of God understand that Jesus has turned every opportunity for sin into an opportunity to win. Every challenge we face in life is a door for which God's wisdom can be manifest in our life so we can know his plans for us to achieve victory. In the process, we get to see the glory of God manifest in our lives. Now, that, that's a powerful statement. And, and just a quick refresher for those of you who missed it last week. We went to the book of Genesis, and we looked quickly at Eve under attack from the devil. A three-pronged attack that we, is described in the New Testament as all that is in the world. The weapons in the devil's arsenal, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The devil challenged Eve. He challenged Eve with the lust of the flesh because she saw the fruit that it was good for food. She's going to feed her flesh with it, right? Amen? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He told her, God knows. He doesn't want you to eat it because he knows if you eat it, you'll be smart like him. 
See, that, that lie is so prevalent in the world today, that's how humanism was birthed. In humanism, everybody thinks that people are, are, are good people and can be made better through education alone. We tend to believe as Christians that we can't be better without God. Our dependence is on God, not just our... Is education a bad thing? Absolutely not. It's a good thing. Amen? Knowledge is not a bad thing. But if it exalts itself above God, it is evil. I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you straightforward from this pastor's heart. All right? Education's good, but not exalted above God in our life. Amen? All right, so... We know in the, old, in the New Testament, they described the three-pronged attack as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and he hit Eve with all three of them, and she failed. Worse than that, she was deceived. She handed to her husband. I, I do not believe in domestic violence in any fashion, form, or way, but I wish Adam had slapped the fruit out of her hand. Okay? Not, not slapped Eve, but slapped the fruit out of her hand. You understand what I'm saying? I wish he had stood up like a man of God and said to his wife, no, but he didn't do it. He chose to eat of that fruit instead of running to God and asking God in his wisdom, what can we do about what Eve has just done? Help me. My wife has disobeyed you. What are our options? He didn't do it. Adam failed, and he failed by choice. Eve was deceived. Don't get mad at Eve. But if you want to get upset about it, get upset with Adam. He knew what he was doing when he ate that fruit. So we fast forward then to the New Testament. Now listen to this. And I didn't get to say this last week, but I'm excited about this. We know that in Matthew, I think it was chapter 4, in Matthew, Jesus Christ faced the devil on that same playing field. And the devil doesn't know any different. He, he attacked Christ with the same three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I love the story because Jesus Christ, he was the son of God, and he subjected himself to a physical body. So someone might say, well, you know, he, he passed all those tests because he was the son of God. No, he passed all those tests even not feeding that physical body for 40 days. He tied one of his hands behind his back on purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't feed a human body for 40 days, and the Word of God says, and he was hungry, right? And what was the first thing the devil said to him? Well, if you're, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread and feed yourself, right? And what did Jesus say? It is written. All three times Jesus said, it is written. He did not use a single weapon that was not at your disposal and your disposal, which is this book. You see, why does your pastor love you so much that he challenges you over and over and over again to learn this book? Because it is written, right? And there's not a single thing that the devil can say to you or to convince you to do that you can't respond with. It is written by something in this book. That's why we said this series of messages is going to help the children of God understand that Jesus has turned every opportunity for sin into an opportunity to win. That makes everything different, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not the son of God, so, you know, I'm, I'm a weak vessel. No, no, no. You know what? You're a weak vessel, all right, but this book, it's strong. 
The Word of God, it's Jesus Christ. Manifest in written form, right? In it strong, right? So, here's the last thing I'm going to say about last week's sermon. The dynamics of what Jesus did was he went straight to the same identical scenario because God, because Jesus, is not a, a peripheral Savior. He never deals with our problems in life on the periphery. He goes for the root. He goes directly to the root. That's why he had to go to the same exact arena. And he fasted and he prayed and he was hungry. And he still won with the written word of God. The written word of God. You know what? That's shouting material right there. We used to call that shouting material. I mean, there used to be people in church that get so excited. Next thing you know, there's a Jericho march going on in the church. And ain't nothing wrong with that. And I'll, I'll explain that to you more later. If you've got a question about it, ask me after church. You know, I want to share something with you that, that greatly concerns me. And I, I'm not trying to throw rocks at anybody. I, I, I don't know how to explain it to you except to say this deserves honorable mention, what I'm about to say to you. It's very alarming to me. It was very alarming to me to open up Facebook. Every now and then I look at it because that's how I keep up with you guys. Y'all put things on social media. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we keep up with each other, right? And I get to say once in a while, hey, that's funny, <laughs> or I love you, or that's a great-looking picture, right? You know, your pastor loves you and is keeping up with you, right? Listen. It's very alarming for me to open up a Facebook account on my phone to find that there was a person that has not only decided to turn their back on the relationship with God, but felt that they had to go to the length of announcing it to the world on social media. Now, how heartbreaking is that? I mean, that's heartbreaking. Evidently and apparently, this individual believes that God is on a campaign to answer everyone else's prayers but theirs. Listen, all of those times that I was asking God, help me get this loan, for example, you know, the answer was a no. Many times it was just no. I could get mad and say God doesn't answer my prayers. That just means I don't like no. I love my granddaughter with all my heart, but I've learned that my little one-year-old granddaughter doesn't like the word no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But neither do immature children of God. They don't like. See, we think we know what's best for us. This is what I need. And God says, no, this is what you need. And I'm telling you what form that takes is his wisdom. It's godly wisdom. And if we reject that, that, that God wants to give us, that's a, that's a form of insanity. It's a form of insanity. Amen? What does God give us when we get saved? A spirit of love, power, and what? A sound mind. He gives you sanity. God gives you sanity. He, he, he fixes your, your mind, the way your mind works, if you let him, if you do not reject it. Amen? And God's got a different way of doing things in his wisdom and his economy. All right, God help me. Maybe you have felt that way at one time or another in your life like that person did. You see, at one point in heaven, why, why did these things happen? Why do we find ourselves at this point sometimes where we feel abandoned by God? Or we feel like he doesn't answer our prayers. Or he loves somebody else. I don't understand why he seems to help all these other people and answers their prayers, but he doesn't answer mine. 
And, and this person that I heard or I read on social media, they're not the only ones feeling that way. Amen. At times in our lives, probably all of us have, have been tempted to feel that way or felt that way. Right. We just didn't have social media back then to get on and tell everybody in the world. You know. Listen to me. You've got to look at the origins of Lucifer for a minute. You've got to look at the origins of, of the devil. At one point, Lucifer was one of the archangels right up there with Michael and Gabriel in heaven. He was powerful. He was influential. As a matter of fact, if you study the word of God, you find out that he was the worship leader in church or in heaven. He was in charge of worship. But at some point in his existence, he lost the fear of the Lord and tried to take God's throne from him. And God cast him out of heaven. Well, that's not really true. God never got up from his seat to cast him out. Jesus never moved. They just told Michael, Gabriel, throw him out. You understand what I'm saying? The devil is not the opposite of God. He's the opposite of Michael or Gabriel. Do not give him more power or authority than he has because he just doesn't have that much. He's the opposite of Michael or Gabriel, not the opposite of Jesus. If he was the opposite of Jesus, they'd both be clashing and neither one would ever win. When the fact of the matter is, Lucifer was defeated a long time ago. All right? When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected. Amen? All right, now, why do I, why do I mention this? In, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, go there real quick. Let's chase the scriptures for a minute. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to read you two scriptures that pertain to this because this one, this one I'm going to infer something, but the next time I come back to Proverbs, I'm going to read the scripture to you that, that proves the inference is right. Watch this with me. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It says it in this scripture, knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. By inference, in this verse of scripture, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. Does that make sense? All right, now watch this with me. At some point, Lucifer lost his fear of the Lord and attempted to take over the throne of God. Because Lucifer has lost his fear of the Lord, this is why he isn't going to stop coming against you because he doesn't know when to quit. Think about this with me now. But if he has lost his fear of the Lord and he has no wisdom, can you, can you perceive that? He has no wisdom, all right? He knows a lot of things, but he has no wisdom. But if he has lost his fear of the Lord and he has no wisdom, and my respectful fear of the Lord is growing daily so that I have the wisdom of God operating in my life, then who has the upper hand in the fight? I do. You do. If you have the wisdom of God operating in your life, right? That's right. We need to live our lives according to the fact that God, through his wisdom, has given his children dominion over the devil and his minions. I remember the guy that I told you about him many times. He wore a cross of David. He wore a cross. He wore all kinds of symbols around his neck. I said, what in the world do you wear all that for? He said, I can't afford to offend anybody. <laughs> he was so fearful that he felt he couldn't afford to offend anybody, right? And he would never stand up to the devil because he was afraid of the devil. 
God wants us to learn that he will give us his wisdom. He will teach us how to live our lives. He will teach us about the decision-making processes of this life. And you, in the name of Jesus, can tell the devil, wait, stop, quit right now. Get out in the name of Jesus. Every child of God that is dependent upon the wisdom of the Lord. And so how do I get it? Well, you make a decision and you pray about it. Talk to God about it. Amen? Talk to God about it. All right. Now, I could stop right there and we could go home, but we're not going to, by the way. But, I, I, I mean, we could rejoice and go home and just ponder that alone, that you have been given the authority and the power to stop the devil in his tracks. The devil comes against you with deception. He wants to deceive you. Don't fall into the trap. Have anybody sat here and thought, well, Brother Dennis, you talk a lot right now about the devil coming against us trying to get us to sin, but what about him trying to come against us and put sickness and disease on us? The answer is still the same. You've got the name of Jesus. But listen to me carefully. What's more important? If I stood up here today and I told you I went to the doctor last week and I got a diagnosis of cancer, I didn't. I didn't get one, all right? But, but I'm your pastor. I love you, and I believe that you're here. You know, you love God, and, and you care about me. You love me. I believe that with all my heart. I say that humbly. And you would be very concerned about me, and you would begin to pray for me, would you not? And I would begin to pray, and I would, I would stand on faith that God is going to heal me. But six months later, I pass away, and you have my funeral. What did I lose? What did I lose? I didn't lose anything. You know, if the devil could come against me and take my life, he has won nothing. Because to be absent from the body is to be where? He cannot win with sickness and disease in our lives, but he can win if he can bury us in sin. He can win if he can bury us in sin. So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get you ready like the Marines ready. You know what I love about the Marines? The hardest thing about becoming a Marine is called the crucible. Did you, how many Marines do we have in the room? No Marines? All right. I'm, I'm kind of surprised because there's a lot of them out there. And once a Marine, always a Marine, right? There is a three-day trial that you must get through where you have very little sleep, very little food, and you're run through all kinds of obstacles. You're wet. You're cold. It is miserable for three straight days. They do everything in their power to make you quit and give up. But if you get through it, I mean instantly, they give you that little thing that you put on your uniform that has a world and, and I think a couple of wings on it, and, and, that's your, and it's got some rope and, and anchors, and it is the insignia that you went through the crucible. I'm telling you, it's no different for the child of God. Only sometimes it lasts longer than three days. And why does it last longer than three days? Because we don't learn like Marines do, evidently. We don't always learn as fast as a Marine does. Amen? We get to go back to the same school, the same class, over and over and over again. Why? Because God loves us. He wants to get the truth across to us. Can you say amen? So now, running back to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, 
You've got to read this again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Once again, listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. We do not think like God. Right? That's what he's saying. Have you ever wondered what makes him God? What makes God God is he thinks different than us, right? So he's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reason for this is that God is not partial. He's not in part. God is not incomplete. God has all knowledge. God is without fragmentation. How, how many different ways can I say it? He's complete. We are incomplete. Honestly, we get pretty wrapped up in the little bit that we know about ourselves <laughs> to start with. Let me, let me read that again. Honestly, we are pretty wrapped up in the, ba- in the little bit that we know about what is going on around us with our family and our friends and our neighbors while God knows everything. Our knowledge of even our loved ones, even the knowledge between a husband and a wife, is incomplete compared to the knowledge God has. God knows and sees, and we are blind and unlearned compared to him. This is because God sees as we can't see, knows as we can't know, thinks as we can't think, because God is complete and we are not. This is what God is like. I say it this way. God is God. That's why we need help in our lives. So when we focus on the fact that we're not all-knowing, we must come to the conclusion that we need help from the one who does. If God sees our need and knows what to give us, and we don't receive it, and we reject it, we are not wise. We're not wise. One of the things that we covered last week is that all sin is a form of insanity. We've already reviewed that. We know that it is unwise to put anything in our veins or lungs that will kill us, but at various and sundry times, as it says in the Old Testament, at various and sundry times we have chosen to do it because we are at times inflicted with insanity. (laughs) We know better than to do it, but we've all been known to do it at one time or another. God help us. This is because sin is abnormal to human life, not normal, not according to God. God did not build us that way. That's why when you get saved, God gives you a sound mind. Now listen, because we don't know everything like God does, we must place our dependence upon him to tell us what those things are that we are in need of. When God tells us what our need is, we got to trust him. We have to make a decision to trust him. So in trusting him, we must obey what he tells us to do because obedience to God is evidence of our love for him. I, I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. How many believe there's an order to the books of the Bible? I mean, if there's a God and he was in charge of how the book got put together, he was in charge of the order of the books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. When you get to the book of John, John was called the disciple of love. Amen? And... The word love is throughout that letter, throughout that book of John. And then you roll into Acts, and you do not see the word love. Did you know that? You would think, well, the word love has got to be throughout the book. No. 
Go to the book of Acts, and there is a word that you see in place of the word love, and that's obedience. In the book of Acts, the word obedience took the place of the word love. Why? Because you back up to Matthew, and what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I tell you to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, say, Brother Dennis, that's not exactly what he said. Well, then let me tell you what he exactly said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what he said. Well, is any word that ever came out of Jesus' mouth about what we should do any less than a commandment? Jesus Christ did not make suggestions. He gave orders. You understand that? So, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do, right? When my oldest boy was little and I told him, Aaron would get up on the top bunk. I'm young, stupid. Tell my boy, jump, I'll catch you, <laughs> right? I'm the only daddy that's ever done that, right? Come on, son. And you, then you back up a little bit and the, and the kid's going, he's looking at you, he's looking at the distance between you, and all of a sudden, Step and a half, he's airborne. Now I'm like, you know what I'm saying? But what did I do? I caught my boy. Why did he do that? He did it because I said do it, and he trusted that daddy will catch me. Daddy said jump, and I will catch you, and airborne. I caught him, thank God. Can you imagine what it would have done to his psyche if I missed him? <laughs> you know? All right. So then, the life that we live is a life of faith exemplified by obedience. Amen? If you're here today and you've asked God to help you with something that you're facing in life, but you don't obey him because you don't like what he said, then that's insanity. If we do not rely upon the wisdom of God and do what he tells us to do, that's insanity. It's insane not to listen to the wisdom of the universe that is above all smarts out there. There's no IQ that comes anywhere near the IQ of God himself. And I'm telling you that you may be sitting here today and say, every time I try to talk to God, I don't feel anything, I don't get anything, I don't see anything, I don't hear anything, and it's just nothing moves or whatever. It doesn't matter. Talk to him anyway. Keep talking to him. He loves to hear your voice, especially when it's directed at him because your very words are an act of faith that you wouldn't be talking to a God you didn't believe existed. Amen? And the most important thing that you can talk to him about is his wisdom manifest in your life. You can tell me all day long all the reasons why you don't want to do what God has told you to do. But let, rem let me remind you that he has more information about your situation than you have. And the God of everything is not going to beg you to do what he laid out for you. God never begs you to do what he told you to do. He doesn't beg you. Furthermore, at times, he's not going to give you any more information than he's already given you, so buck up, put on your big boy britches, and let's get with it, shall we? I like that note. I like that. Sometimes you just got to buck up and do what he told you to do. Amen? You'll never regret it.
I promise you, you'll never regret it. I used to run two security teams for the trans Pipeline. I hope I haven't talked too much about that, but there's a point I need to make. Half of my team was with me at Pump Station 5. The other half was 84 miles away at Pump Station 6 on the Yukon River. My team that was with me, right by my side at Pump Station 5, I could explain everything to them. I could say, this is what I need you to do, and this is why. The team that was 84 miles away didn't have time for that. I'd send them an email, and I would give them instructions, and they knew Sergeant D said to do this, so let's get with it, even though they didn't know all the reasons why I needed them to do it. I did not have time to sit at a computer console and, and explain them every detail that I, and reason I had for telling them what to do. I gave orders, and they obeyed. And if they did not obey it, they just got written up for insubordination. That's all. God will never write you up for insubordination. He just won't say anything. He won't move. He won't answer your prayer. He won't do what you're asking him to do. If you don't do what he tells you to do, he just gets real quiet. God's not going to beg you. And then he gets real quiet, and what do we do? We get angry with him. And we go to social media, and we say, God doesn't answer our prayers. When God does answer our prayers, in his wisdom, in his way, why should God bless your inaction and disobedience by giving you what you want when you won't do what he says to do? Amen? All right. Moving right along. All right. Hmm. However, God did not write you up for insubordination. You just won't get what you want from God. And then you'll be foolish enough to get angry and bitter with him because you are so smart and God is so mean. I like that note. You're so smart and God is so mean. God's not mean and you're not that smart. Amen? We absolutely must have faith in God and do what he tells us to do. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. All right, now I need you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. We're going to find out more about wisdom. Let's chase the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Are you going there? I haven't lost you, have I? All right. All right. Well, I'm not running yet. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. You got it. You're with me. I'm dragging my feet, trying to help you. All right. All right, pay close attention. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So when Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, so what, how is the wisdom of God manifest in our lives first and foremost? Through Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that what the scripture just said? All right. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus Christ became to us wisdom from God. So if you're going to have a relationship with Christ, you have access to godly wisdom. Amen? All right, all right. So this scripture teaches me that if I live by human wisdom, 
That will surely cause me to succumb to the temptation of this world. It will only feed me heartache and death. That, I'm telling you, listen to me carefully, because we went to James last week, and we're going to go back there because we need to see this more clearly. There are only two kinds of wisdom operating in the world, godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. One is godly and one is not godly. Matter of fact, if you believe the Scripture, then you know that there's godly wisdom and then there's wisdom of the world, which is evil. That's what it says. It's evil. And the kind that's operating in Washington, D.C., we know is evil. It's not godly. That's why we're supposed to pray for our country every day. Amen? All right, so watch this with me. So this Scripture teaches me that if I live by human wisdom, that will surely cause me to succumb to the temptations of this world. It will only feed me heartache and death. However, if I want godly wisdom that can turn every temptation into an opportunity for victory, I can't get it from any place but in who? Jesus. You can't get it from Buddha. You can't get it from Confucius. They are dead. Don't get mad at me. Don't, I can't, uh, you want to get mad at me, get mad at me. If you want to get your feelings hurt, get your feelings hurt. I can't help it. But if you read any writings about Confucius, you cannot pray to him and ask him, what did you mean when you wrote that? Because he's DRT. He's dead right there. He can't answer you. Buddha can't answer you about the writings of Buddha because Buddha's dead. He can't answer you. But if I pray, Father, what did you mean when you said that? He answers. Because he's alive. He's not dead. If you ask God what he meant about what he wrote, he answers because he is alive. Now go to the book of James chapter 1. Why? Because we're chasing the scriptures. James chapter 1. It's going to start getting real good now. James chapter 1 verse 2. Oh, this is going to start getting good. I read this. I read this for years and years and years. I thought that can't be true. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? That can't be true, right? James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Stop right there. If I didn't read another word, say how in the world. Can I rejoice over all this temptation around me? Well, you can when you know that every temptation that the devil comes against you with is an opportunity to win, not an opportunity to sin. That's the only way I can get excited about it. Oh, I see that, devil. I don't want it. No, thank you. In the name of Jesus, flee. Go away. Get out. I'm not going to do that, right? All right, count it all joy, my brothers, when you... Uh, meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I'm telling you that the more you tell him no, the stronger you get. That's steadfastness, right? And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You may think, well, I, that, can't, that can't be, because that certainly doesn't describe my life. Well, it, it needs to get there. Amen? If any of you lacks wisdom, now, what, what's happening here? What's happening here? You can't talk about victory over sin and temptation without getting to wisdom. You cannot separate the two. Amen? You can't separate. So it says you're going to have to have wisdom from God 
to win. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. What did I say earlier? Talk to God. He wants to hear from you. There are certain things you ask him for. He is not going to tell you no. He may tell you no to a bank loan, but he ain't going to tell you no to asking him for wisdom. Because it says right here, if any man lacks wisdom, let me tell you how easy it is. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I have God's word on it. I got my finger on it. Got God's word on it. He's not going to withhold wisdom from me, right? All right. All right. Uh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I don't know why, but that thing about asking faith, not wavering, I always applied it to me asking for money. Always. You, you understand what I'm saying? When in reality, it pertains to asking God for wisdom. It goes on to warn about people who trust in riches. They don't get the prayers answered. People who trust in riches don't get their prayers answered. Am I right or wrong? Are you with me? All right. Can you handle this kind of preaching? Turn a page over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Let's look at verse 13. Ooh, I have to turn two pages. Sorry. James chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, here's the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of what? Wisdom. But if you have uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, listen this carefully, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Back up once again to verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. If I were describing a person with these characteristic traits, who would it be? Who would it be? First pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Who's it talking about? Jesus. You can't separate these characteristics listed here from the person of Jesus Christ. So, well, uh, Brother Dennis, I don't know exactly how to do this. Pursue wisdom, but above all else, pursue Jesus. Pursue the person of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? All right. In verse 17, we see the list that describes the characteristics of Christ. So the character of divine wisdom is the character of Jesus Christ. So if wisdom that you're living by, so if the wisdom that you're living your life by does not have the characteristics of Christ, then it is not godly. 
The wisdom of God is manifest in our lives through the character of Christ. All right. Now, now you don't have to turn here because we, we've seen this many times. But back in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it specifically says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, to reject the fear of the Lord is to reject godly wisdom. Amen? Because in Proverbs chapter 1, we've already been there, but verse 27 through 31 says, When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You, you ever found yourself there? You ever seen somebody talk about that's exactly what happened and they put it on Facebook? They described exactly what this scripture says, right? Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Why is that important? Because Proverbs 3, verse 7, we've already been all over Proverbs. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't practice sin. Rely upon the wisdom of God. Amen? So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is to turn from evil, then I say again that to put anything in your body that you know is not good for you is unwise. I keep coming back to that for whatever reason. I don't know why. I know I was in that trap for a long time in my life. Is that making sense to you today? The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Now, remember the reason for this is that the fear of the Lord is the restraint to do evil, right? So where there is no fear of the Lord, evil will abound. Evil will flourish. So where there is no fear of the Lord, evil will abound. One of the reasons why evil has abounded in America is because to a very great extent, the fear of the Lord has diminished. But listen to me. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this to you again. You've got to hear what God has said to me about this. One of the reasons why evil has abounded in America is because to a very great extent, the fear of the Lord has diminished in the church. You hearing me? If the fear of the Lord is diminished in the country, that, that doesn't mean anything. They're just doing what they do. But the fear of the Lord is diminished in the church. And things have crept into the church that ought not to be there. And we've got to do something about it. We have to do the right thing. We have to do what it, we read earlier in the Scripture. You just got to turn to God with it. Amen? And then it's got to stop. I love you so much that I want God's very best for you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not, you know, I love you. And, and I, I want us all to go to heaven. God wants us all to go to heaven. Amen? He doesn't want us to be in there with the goats and the sheep at the final judgment seat. And all of a sudden, you're being shuffled off into the goats when you thought all your life you were a sheep. My pastor never told me that that could happen to me. Oh, yes, he has. I told you that if fear rises up on the inside of you about that, that's a good thing. That's godly wisdom. We should be afraid of that. I don't want to be counted with the goats. I want to be counted with the sheep. Amen? All right. All right, this is, this is it. We're, we're going to close. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you would like to see LSBC Ministries grow? We'd like to see it grow. I look around. This is a healthy-looking group of people. And, and y'all hang on, on what we say up here. This is wonderful. It's so humbling to me as your pastor. 
All right, now, grab your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 9, and let's see why the church, the early church grew. All right, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Go there. We're going to have fun with this. Acts chapter 9, because this is good stuff. This is not me complaining about anything. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Ooh, what a powerful passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. How many of you would like Life Spring Bible Church to get built up? Me too. And walking in the what? The fear of the Lord. And in what? The comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied it didn't just get added to god used multiplication not addition i mean there were days when a couple thousand people would get saved look we're going to do some things to try to help the church be strong and grow and we want to use godly wisdom and all that but if god doesn't grow the church the numbers don't mean anything right the numbers don't mean anything if god isn't growing the church I remember the first church that I was ever on staff at as an intern. I remember talking to Dale Zink was the pastor. And, and this church that God brought me to was the fastest growing church in our city. And it was being multiplied. It wasn't being added to. So I said, Pastor Zink, what, what happened here? Because it happened before I got here. He said, all I know is on a Wednesday morning, God told me to get ready that he was bringing people to the church. And it was Wednesday, Wednesday night meeting. He said, I came out at 7 o'clock for the Wednesday night meeting and the church was full. On a Wednesday night, God filled that church up. There's no explanation for it. It wasn't that he was a dynamic and charismatic personality. He's just Dale Zink, love God, that's all. Man in his 60s. That's promising. Your pastor's in his 60s, okay? And I'll brag about that now, right? He said, I came out and the church was full. But watch these two things because there's a balance here in this. It says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, let, let me talk to you about this for a moment in closing. Have you noticed, I've only been the pastor now for seven months. So if I've said we're going to do certain things and I haven't got there yet, it's only been seven months. Relax a little bit. Relax. Give us some room to breathe, all right? What have we talked about in the past and what, what are we going to move towards? We're going to move towards the Holy Ghost, right? Because how many of you want the comfort of the Holy Spirit here? All right? So I'm going to get there to where we're going to learn about him before we learn about the manifestation of his gifts. We've got to learn about him because most churches, when they say we want the Holy Ghost, they go to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and they don't learn about the Holy Spirit himself. And they don't learn about what he wants. We've got to learn about him first and what he wants before we'll go to the manifestation of his gifts. Why? You don't, many of you aren't old enough to remember this, but I, I knew Guys like Jim Baker at PTL. I knew Jimmy Swaggart in uh, Louisiana. I knew these guys, right? And before uh, uh, Jimmy Strickland got, or uh, uh, Jimmy Swaggart got caught up in sin, 
there was a war that was going on between Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker. Did you know that? And, and kind of, I was between those two ministries looking at that battle because Jim Baker didn't have kind things to say about Jimmy Swaggart and Jimmy Swaggart didn't have kind things to say about Jim Baker. And they were two world-renowned ministries. Y'all remember that? Okay. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit told me. <clears throat> in, in Louisiana, where Jimmy Swaggart was, they had too much legalism. They had just fear of the Lord. That's all they had. And in North Carolina, they had too much liberty of the Spirit and no fear of God. See, what happens when you separate the two and they get out of balance because you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord before a church can be multiplied. That's wisdom. That's godly wisdom. There are people, I have heard people tell me before, I, I follow this person because of the gifts of the Spirit operating in their life. I said, that's not enough. It's not enough. Oh, well, you can't tell me any different because the Holy Spirit's using them. So what do they rely upon? The giftedness? Amen? The giftedness? Does that make sense to you? Are you following with me? They've got the gift. The anointing and the gift do not amount to anything if the person does not have the character that is the basis for the conduct that gives validity to the giftedness and the anointing. You ever met anybody that the Holy Spirit fell on them and, 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 and God moved them into a place of leadership, but later things went terribly wrong? The danger involved in it is this. It's like getting in a car or a boat, and you get it up going as fast as you can, and when the engine dies, what happens? Momentum carries you forward. You look eerily like a person under power, when the power has left. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? It, and if you just follow a person because of the giftedness and the anointing that you believe is there, then, and there's no fear of the Lord, then it's out of balance. It's not God. It won't be blessed of God. It won't grow. As a matter of fact, it will meet a tragic end. Does that make sense to you? And where you have the fear of the Lord only, just the fear of the Lord, you've got extreme legalism. And that doesn't work. But you need the fear of the Lord accompanied with the comfort of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and God will multiply the church. That's wisdom. Can you say amen? Are you, are you, are you picking up what I'm throwing down? Or are you tripping over it? There's a difference. You, you got to know the difference, amen? You need to know the difference. That's just me, homespun southern boy, trying to get the truth across to you with every method that God will give me, amen? We are going to be a spirit-led church, amen? But we are also going to be a group of people that fear the Lord and are dependent totally and completely upon the wisdom of God. It isn't going to be, it can't be my personality. Please don't get upset with me. I've had people literally come to me and say, you say too many bad things about yourself. What did I say last week? And I'll say it again. I'm only trying to get across to you one truth and one truth only. Your pastor, the one who you've accepted to be your pastor, is a man who is totally and completely dependent upon God.
and his wisdom. I do not claim to be an eloquent speaker. I do not claim to be extremely intelligent. I do not claim to be uh, Tom Selleck of the preaching world. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? I'm just me. And God is God. He's everything. Amen? So, uh, what do you say we pick up here again next week? I, I, I'm, I'm loving this. This, this, is, this is, there is nothing in this world I love more than teaching and preaching the Word of God. Nothing. There's nothing. Amen? People, we, we said it last week, but there are people that think, I don't want to give my life to God because I might have to stop doing the things I want to do. Not me. I get to do everything I want to do. I get to preach. I get to teach. I get to be with you. I get to talk to God. I mean, I get to pray. I get to commune with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we're getting ready for all of the things that we've been talking about from day one that God wants to do. You don't just say, this is going to happen, and it happens. No, you have to prepare the soil. You have to do the groundwork. You have to get ready so that when you get there, you do not fail. You do not fail in your effort to enjoy the move of God. Amen? We're getting ready for it. Amen? So what do we do? End of every service, we pray together. I pray for you. I pray for me. Amen? Now, really seriously, let me ask you what sounds like an egotistical question just before I pray. It sounds egotistical. But are you enjoying this? Do you, do you, do you like this? I mean, I know that sometimes I've got to upset some people. I know that. I understand that, and I can live with that. And I'm big boy. I got my big boy britches on. Amen? <laughs> you know? But if you enjoy this and you believe that it will change people's lives, ask people to come. Ask them to come and sit under this ministry. I mean, isn't that sound egotistical? I, I, I want to tell you that all of my confidence is in God. He's given us this word, and it will change lives, and it will help people. It will help people. It will change lives, and it will get us ready for the next big move of God, where God doesn't add to the church. He multiplies. Amen? Stand with me. I'm going to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for every single person in this room, everyone that showed up here today. Father, I'm, I'm not an eloquent speaker, but your Holy Spirit is eloquent. I pray in Jesus' name right now that your Holy Spirit would touch every person in this room, let them know they're loved, let them know they're cared for. Father, let us know that it, there's not a corner of our heart that's hidden from you. You know everything. Father, I want to thank you once again for education. It's good stuff. Knowledge is a good thing, Father. I want to thank you, Father, for taking the knowledge that's been placed in our lives and helping us to apply it to our lives with godly wisdom. Father, I want to thank you for all the doors that education opens in our lives. I want to thank you for what it prepares us for in this world. But above all else, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand our need for applying your wisdom to all that knowledge so that we apply it properly, we use it properly. Anoint our common sense, I pray in Jesus' name, because the children of God should be some of the most anointed common sense people in the world. We should be able to come up with ideas that astounds the world for your glory. Father, continue to prepare us for a great and mighty move of your spirit, a great outpouring of your wisdom. Put us in a position, Father, for the church to be multiplied, not just added to 
Lead us, guide us, and direct us, Father. Watch over us as we depart from this building today and keep us safe and bring us together again at the appointed time so we can go into message three on godly wisdom. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody sin. Amen. Fellowship together before you leave today.